Welcome to another edition of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, the first one of the year 2018. I'm Joe Favorito. Welcome, Tom Richardson, my co-host. Happy New Year, Joe. How are you? We're doing good. Actually, it's um, cold as anyone who is, hopefully someone's listening to this in June and can't understand why we're complaining about the weather. We're getting ready for the cyclone bomb. The cyclone bomb. Which is coming to the East Coast, I think, tomorrow. So if we don't survive for number, this is show number 95. Show number 96. Exactly. Yeah. So Maurice can carry on in our absence. Um, Yeah. So we're going to kick off a new year. Um, and I think we're going to get into a topic that is one of our favorites, one that we covered extensively the last two years, which is media. Disruption so, in media. Disruption in media. And by the way, that's a, that's a very uh, hot topic mm-hmm. these days in the business. So we have uh, a, a new angle on it today with, an, with kind of an interesting uh, guest. So I want to introduce Jeff and yep. take it from there. But anything you want to say to, to kick off our new podcasting year? I'm very excited about the year. I think it's going to be really, really interesting. You know, esports, gaming, gambling, disruption in the marketplace. Artificial reality. Artificial AI. reality, artificial intelligence, combined media. Skinny bundles. No bundles. Virtual reality now in the NFL. Various and sundry scandals. You know, who knows where we're going to go. Yeah, well, we won't so, talk about the scandals No scandals. No scandals. No. So, this, is, this is straight business. But we are going to talk, um, and we've had some media people on before, Tina Savasio, Scott Soshnick, um, a bunch of people, but... Uh, Mandy. Mandy Antonacci. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk today about a little bit of the disruption of media, but someone who's really kind of on the edge of the traditional and very much on the non-traditional in terms of aggregating audience and knowing what people like. Uh, Jeff Eisenband, who is the co-editor? Senior. Senior editor. And it's the only time that he's probably ever been called senior to this point in his life of the post game. So Jeff, welcome. I know. I think I'm, I'm being brought in to be to be young and I'm referring to myself as a senior here. But yes, I didn't know if I should interrupt you guys and disrupt <laughs> when you were your introduction right, or just right. wait to disrupt now. You're shooting spitballs at us. So that, that's how <laughs> well, we're also, it's, it's, Jeff, it's, it's good to have you. Thanks for coming in. But it's, it's nice to start off the new year with a millennial perspective mm-hmm. on the media business right now in sports. So um, let's let's get into the conversation. And it's Where funny. Do you want to start. And Jeff touches on a lot of the things that we've talked about you know, where streaming is going, mm-hmm. what people are watching, how fan, how athletes engage, how fans engage. Uh, and he's really kind of built a business, an editorial business with the post game. And we'll talk about what the post game is exactly. Um, on one of the things we love to talk about, Tom, the value of showing up. Because if there's someone who shows up for events and is courteous and respectful to people, but gets tremendous contact t- content, uh, it's Jeff, Jeff Eisenman. So tell us a little bit about the post game and more importantly, Tell us the story, especially since we have a lot of students and young people who listen to this, about your tra- path through Northwestern that started in an unconventional place at the Super Bowl and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, uh, I'll try to, to keep this as in a condensed version because I know I could go on forever about it. But, like uh, all our guests. So, so. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it starts really uh, going into my senior year of high school. I did a program, the uh, Northwestern Journalism, Cher- uh, Journalism Cherubs Program, the Medill School of Journalism uh, in Evanston. So I did that, and at the end of the summer, uh, we were all invited to be connected with an editor for a site then called sportsfanlive.com. His name is Victor Cheese, my boss today. Um, And so I was hesitant. I kind of wanted to focus on my senior year of high school, the Marinette High School Studies, but I decided against that. And uh, I reached out, and I was assigned. uh, Sports Fan Live had a partnership with the NFL at the time. They ran different blogs. 
So they put me on the Colts blog. I didn't have NFL Sunday ticket or Red Zone or anything, so I'd literally read the, the yahoosports.com recaps and write based on the box scores. So that was what Colts fans were getting back then as their content. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> but uh, eventually uh, the post game starts in January 2011 as, at the time, uh, Yahoo Sports' digital magazine partner. Um, so I, kind of I got into school into Northwestern midway through my senior year of high school. I said to Victor one day, I really like this article that you guys did on the post game. And he said, you know, pitch me if you want to do anything. Um, I believe my first interview I ever kind of did with an actual interview with someone that got published was with Zach Hampel, better known as a foul ball guy now, yep. who had just caught three foul balls in, in Baltimore at Camden Yards. One of the most <laughs> hated people in baseball. <laughs> That's so, the guy they did the HBO yes. Real Sports story about. Yeah. 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 So I, I interviewed him and I actually interviewed Bernie Williams that, that spring. I go off to college. I'm still contributing a little bit when I can, but I'm saying to myself, I'm really going to focus on, on college. I was at Northwestern at this time. And I get a call. I still remember I kind of botched a news report, a sports news report, and was walking back to my dorm. And I get a call from Victor and he says, hey, you've been so great the last year and a half for us. Um, how would you like to go to Indianapolis next week? And I was like, what? And he said, we have uh, media passes for Super Bowl media day in the Super Bowl in Indianapolis. So I was in Chicago. I called my parents. I said, I think I should do this, you know, and uh, they got me, you know, God bless my parents. They got me to media day Tuesday. I came back, went to class Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, was doing content from media day whenever I wasn't there. Um, Came back to Indianapolis for Super Bowl Sunday. Giants beat the Patriots. I cover in a totally objective wow. way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm on a 3 a.m. mega bus back to Chicago and make my 9 a.m. Spanish class Monday morning. Wow. It, it's almost like almost famous when you yeah. think about it. Yeah, a so, little bit, yeah. It's, uh, people say it's like the John Feinstein books with the kid that got to uh, yeah. got to cover, like I think, like maybe he did the NCAA tournament or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But uh so from that, you know, you can imagine being a freshman in college at the time, I was kind of like, wait, why, why go to school anymore? No, um, I would say that I passed college the next three and a half years. I would not say that I put everything into my studies, and that's not advice as much as where I was at the time. I was able to freelance, and I was able to build a network and, you know, get clips that other people couldn't get that I was lucky with. Um, so I did that for the rest of college. I did a couple other internships, actually, a uh, part-time internship at ESPN Radio in New York here, did some writing for Golf Week magazine, um, and then I was offered and out of college, um, started my full-time job, and I've been doing that for about two and a half years now, and, you know, technically my, my title is senior editor. I would not say that is restrained to writing at all. Um, it's a lot of video, it's a lot of audio, it's a lot of social media, it is... Um, a lot, and actually, I, I guess if I could tell one more story, um, I'll, I, I don't want to. I don't want to keep talking. I want to. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll save the story for. I want to just slide into the Darren Rovell. That's what I was going to. That's what I. Was, so, so, so my junior year. First of all, being at a trimester school like Northwestern, almost all of my friends went abroad. Junior fall, so I was actually one of my few friends still on campus, um, but I stayed especially because it was football season. And I couldn't imagine going to school and doing sports journalism without actually being there for football season. And Northwestern was really good at the time. Uh, they were 4-0. They got to number 15 one of the polls. I think the coaches polled 16 in the AP and were hosting Ohio State on national television, ABC, college game day in town. Um, I actually 
pulled an all-nighter because I, I because through the ESPN radio internship, I got to work one day for Mike and Mike in the morning, they, who were broadcasting live that Friday morning at and 6 a.m. And Mike being a Northwestern alum. I got him breakfast that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my role there. Great sucking up. So I handed See. him the plate. I said, we met one other time. He said, yep, and that was it. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I got up at 2 a.m. for that. And there was, this was just the who's who of Northwestern. I remember there was Mike Greenberg then did his own thing. Jay Adonde had a panel with Christine Brennan. Um, Steve Weissman was there. And so I get an email. I was president of my fraternity at the time. I get an email at the beginning of the week. Hey, we're trying to find a place from a company called Uber that I'd never heard of. Uber Chicago. And they said, we're trying to find a place for Darren Ravel to hang out after he does a promotion with us. So I was like, oh, so what is it? You know, what are you? And they're like, you have options. You could do Uber X, Uber Black, or we'll have a special option this day. Hashtag ride with Ravel. So I said, wow, I, you know, not only do I go to Northwestern, but I went to Camp Greylock, the same camp that Darren Ravel went to. And they say, how you, you knew that? I knew this. Okay. And they said. He's good at sucking up. I got to know said, these things. So. Memory. Yeah. Um, but they said, uh, we can rig it for you so you can be the first one to ride with Ravel. So I was like, screw it. Yeah, sure. So I do yeah, it. I love the algorithm out right. there. <laughs> so right. I, 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 they tell me when to send to hit ride with Ravel. So I do it. Um, and the promotion was you got to ride 15 minutes in an Uber with Darren Ravel. <laughs> so I finished second. Ostensibly to talk sports. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it right. was like. Second he, prize was you rode for 30 minutes. Right. So <laughs> he was doing it for 90 minutes. So maybe they got five or six people. I brought a, a Greylock t-shirt. We took a picture. Um, and then we get in the car and we start talking and I explained to him what I, I was a junior at the time. So I'd explained what I'd done. Um, and he said, Jeff, you, I also want to preface this by saying Darren and I are very close now. We, we see each other all the time. We text all the time. I consider him uh, someone who's really helped me out and a great friend. So this is but I, but I will say this. I he said, Jeff, you got to focus on one thing. You got to focus. I'd focused on business. You got to focus on one thing. And I said to him, with all due respect, I think that I should keep my options as broad as possible right now. Mm-hmm. And it's a mentality that I've maintained for better or for worse for you know the four or five years since then, I guess five years since then now. And um, you know it has its perks and it has its, it, it's a bit of a slower pace when you're trying to keep yourself as broad as possible. You can't happen to jump into those kind of cult followings. For example, if I was just a Knicks reporter. Mm-hmm. Knicks fans mm-hmm. would probably be more inclined to follow me because they know I am 100% Knicks. Mm-hmm. I like keeping everything as broad as possible um, just because I don't know where that's going to be. I don't know exactly where I'm going to end up focusing my energies. That's a plural word. Um, so I'm still trying to figure that out. But it's, it's also incredible to be able to jump from being at the Winter Classic this Monday, showing up at City, City Field at 11 a.m., being there for that entire thing, and then ending my day, you know, live tweeting everything about the college football playoff that was going on, you know. Well, what's interesting about the timing is you were kind of living through the transformation 100%. of media mm-hmm. from kind of like owned and operated destination media to distributed media on social platforms and video mm-hmm. as a key currency. So were you teaching yourself along the way? Like, how did you yep. evolve your journalistic chops? Yeah, I mean, you know, I... The evolution also of journalism education, right. I, I lived through. Um, and I say were, that. Were you studying journalism at Northwestern? I was studying journalism. Okay. So I graduated in 2015. But when you kind of look at that, like when I got to school freshman year, 
the mentality of the this is one of the top journalism schools in the country right. was social media is important. You all should be on it, but we're not going to teach it. Right. By the time mm-hmm. I was a junior, beginning of my senior year, there were classes offered. I think this is catching on Twitter. You know, people. <laughs> right. Yes, yes, right. and people were like, "This has a to." A billion be. people are on this thing. I remember freshman year, they told people they had to make a, a Twitter, and right. some people were like, oh, "I don't know how I'm going to be able to use this and stuff." And it's crazy to look back on it. And I always tell people, you know, kids who are in school now, you might get a 2019 journalism education, which will be a hundred percent different. Uh, 95% different than someone who got a 1995 journalism right. education. Oof. 1995. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just uh, using that as a, as a reference point. Of it's different than 2007. Right. You know, it's different right. from every right. year sure. is different. One of the crazy things, which um, Mark Burns actually tweeted out on Sunday, uh, does what's his platform is? Sports, Sports Business Chronicle. Sports Business Chronicle. Yes. Um, I don't know whether he came up with it or somebody else noticed that the last time the Buffalo Bills have made the playoffs. Mm. Uh, by the time people listen to this, the Buffalo Bills will probably be out of the playoffs. But the last time the Buffalo Bills made the playoffs, none of these social platforms existed Wow! in 1999. Right. But so, let me ask you this as a follow-up question. Do you feel as though you learned more in the classroom during those years or in your field work as a practitioner? Yeah. I wonder how, I many, mean, of, I wonder how many of my professors yeah. are, are Well, listening. no, but be honest. Because and and Jeff's parents no, it's something that, cover their ears. Right but it's something <laughs> that Joe and I... Yep. deal with and talk about quite a bit as teachers of Columbia in this mm-hmm. program because ultimately I, I think the answer for most people is there's a good combination um, where you're hopefully getting good insights and kind of reflection in an academic setting but then you actually have to go out and do it and yeah. be a practitioner. But. Yeah, And I think that Northwestern while I was there kind of loosened up kind of you know you there was a lot of focus on classwork when I got there, freshman, sophomore year. And I think that Northwestern kind of realized it was almost like you'd come in and you'd do a story for class and you'd think, what's the value of this? No one's actually going to read it. Well, I can go out and actually save my good story that I'm not going to use for class to actually publish. Um, I think that also, and this is one of the more interesting things that you see on college campuses, is there's a disruption of the school paper and the school-affiliated media. Because, you know, whether it's SB Nation diving into, hey, let's get a bunch of college kids to run our blog for that school, kids are realizing they don't have to necessarily go through the school paper. And I think that's been the most interesting part where, because I felt it at Northwestern originally, there was a lot of promotion of the school newspaper and the school TV program and stuff like that. And it kind of, as it went on, there was a let's promote these kids who are out there doing stuff and already covering stuff as sophomores and juniors. So it's very funny you mentioned that because this past week I had a conversation with someone uh, who's been trying to get his platform onto another Big Ten school, the one that has maize and blue. Never heard of it. Never heard of them. Um, and he said that he had talked to several, like he would call the editor of um, Michigan, it's Michigan Live or Michigan Daily mm-hmm. and the radio station and thinking that they'd be receptive to, oh, you know, we can go and get you beyond. And he said, the school has told us if we are a, an executive at a Michigan run publication by students, we cannot go and cover for an SB Nation or something else. We can only do that. And he was very surprised. But then what he found out was there are other entrepreneurial students around campus who want to be a little disruptive. And they were more than willing to go and cover Michigan events for his platform going forward. But the, the, the quote creme de la creme, who are the editors, could not do anything else other than work for the mm-hmm. school run piece of media, which is 
I was very surprised by that. So yeah, and that's I mean that's a tension that exists in all kinds of kind of legacy environments where they expect um, they expect followers and fans and customers to kind of stick with them, even though they're not necessarily evolving in the way that the customers want them to. Mm-hmm. We see that sometimes in the actual sports leagues, right? Yep. I know having been, Joe and I haven't been on that side of the desk for a while. You know, one of the challenges is how do you make yourself relevant in a very, very aggressive and open media marketplace when you are a media executive at one of these leagues? And I had two versions of that. And it's challenging because you have to somehow come up with a plan to have some semblance of authenticity and uh, credibility as, quote, journalists. But then again, you had to remember who's paying the bills. Mm -hmm. It's the league and the owners. uh, And you had a certain agenda you had to represent. So Mm -hmm. I don't think that's changed a lot, especially as it's evolved into the television business with the networks uh, for the league. So any thoughts on that vis-a-vis like what you went through with the administration there? Like, yeah, I mean, and and the stuff you've experienced then as an independent entity uh, in the marketplace the last few years? Well, I think definitely media has had to go through different big, big media conglomerates have had to understand that your name alone doesn't necessarily get the readers that, you know, I, I, this is what I, what I tell people, especially middle-aged people when they ask me about media. We don't know any of that. How do you define <laughs> middle-aged? <laughs> Why? Um, you don't is, have to answer that. Because, I, I mean, I remember growing up, you know, whether I was, let's say I was 12 years old or stuff or something. I mean, it felt like everyone, adult, kids, whoever read the newspaper, whether it was my dad on the way to work, me when I got home from elementary school as a fourth grade nerd like that. And then you watched, if you were up at 11 o'clock or if you were up at six, if you, most people are up at six, you watched the news. And that was how, and if you were a sports fan, you watched SportsCenter in the morning, you watched SportsCenter when you came on. And those brands had, they, they were just things that you did what social media did is it opened everything up for viral potential. I mean, it opened up ways for you to get your foot in the door without having to, you know, be an approved TV channel or be an approved newspaper that someone was spending an annual rate on that they fronted at the beginning of the year. Uh, And I, I think that now is where media and leagues are experiencing, hey, we need to actually go out and try to do organic content and do things original every day. And, you know, there's definitely, I would say, the most interesting part about the industry is you have some things that are going way through the roof, being more being consumed at a higher rate than they would, would have in the old form. And there are things that are just barely being consumed, but you don't know when you put out that content what's mm-hmm. going to happen. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about content and where it is today and some of the things that you've seen and that you're going through. Um, we've talked about Twitch and streaming on other shows. Um, how, how has it evolved as you've been a professional now uh, in terms of how you present stories? Um, is there a frequency? Is there like a sauce that you tried to work with, especially as you work through Twitter and Instagram? Um, and, and how have you been able to kind of run that gamut of where things are going and, and how you consume media? And also as a corollary to that, Jeff, um, which is something we talked about briefly before we started, this idea of the, the challenges you have with your owned media you know, so you're on platform, mm-hmm. your first party stuff, mm-hmm. and then your um, distribution of that media to mm-hmm. third party, so mm-hmm. off platform. Mm-hmm. That to me is the single biggest mm-hmm. issue in the business right now and going mm-hmm. forward because so much power in an ad supported industry that we're in, primarily ad supported, so much 
attention, so much time, so, so many eyeballs have, have been kind of gobbled up by the big social platforms. It has had an adverse effect on the mainstream advertising business for mainstream mm -hmm. and even traditional digital media, if mm -hmm. we could call it that, right now. So how do you see, how are you balancing that need to have direct, essentially direct to consumer, like your own audience, and then distribute on third party? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think people don't realize how much content that they consume is from a third party source. Right. And I mean, people don't realize, you know, when we do a video, multiple partners are sharing that video. It's not just on our platform. Um, which is great from a, from a monetary standpoint. Um, but I think people don't realize that. I, I don't know if you guys are well-versed in Hot Ones, the uh, show on First We Feast where they, uh, they eat wings until they get to the hottest sauce at the end. And there's, it's an interview-based interview program. And I was talking to a friend about it. Um, and I was like, yeah, you see that complex show, uh, Hot Ones. And he said, no, no, it's First We Feast. Now, I know Sean Evans, who's the host, is Complex News' main, one of their main anchors. I, I, know that it is, I know that it is a piece of content that, you know, is freelanced out by Complex. I don't think people realize that. Um, in terms of actual, I didn't come here to bash game stories, but on the way over here, I was thinking about this because I was at the Winter Classic this weekend, and I don't spend a lot of time at actual games. I spent a lot of time at a lot of media events, but not necessarily the actual mm -hmm. uh, games and matches being played. And I hope it, you're in a suite. <laughs> well, I was... Uh, Eating hot wings. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was in the press box, luckily. Okay. My, my parents actually happened to be in seats, my family right near the press box, so I could see them with scarves, you know, barely <laughs> anything showing. Right, not a day you want to be outside. But I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, let's say there's... 150 media people here in the locker room, there might be 35 game stories being written. And honestly, why? You know, I understand when there were local newspaper markets and everyone had their own game story, it made sense. And that doesn't, I don't mean to be a snotty millennial saying that, but the fact of the matter is, the AP story is being distributed almost everywhere. And maybe there's a couple other, you know, big time hockey writers that people wanna read what they saw but why is everyone doing a game story? And that's where in my, if, as I've evolved over the last couple of years, I've definitely taken this, this kind of mentality of why write the same thing that everyone else is writing? So if I'm at an, an event that has eight media members, I'm like, they're gonna try to all tell this story. What is the story that I can tell? What is the question that I can ask? Where can I figure out um, you know, to tell something different? And I do have to be nimble because this is what goes back to you know, my fellow journalism students coming out of college and everything. Everyone wants to come out and immediately get the media's quotes and have the best access and have the best distribution. And you're just not gonna get that when you're young, right? Whatever age you're in, you're not gonna get, whatever era you're in, you're not gonna get that. So I've definitely you know, tried to find different avenues of where is there something interesting that people aren't telling. And then in terms of the distribution, and this wasn't something that I did right out of college, but why record something with an audio recorder when you can just flip your phone around and you can have the same audio that you're going to transcribe anyway and have video to complement it? There's obviously a monetary side to it that people do make money off video ads nowadays, but also readers want to see what they're reading. They want to actually see what, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to read that just means they might want to see what was the actual tone of voice. What was the person wearing? What were they looking at? What was the question that led into this? Storytelling. Storytelling, yes. Um, and so 
you know, that's been, it's easy and it's a compliment. Um, and I think that if you used to put a camera in front of athletes three or four years ago, in the, in, you know, in the locker room, if someone put a phone in front, they'd be like, what is this guy going to just send it to their relative or something like that? Now all the athletes, everyone, I mean, they grow up, these AAU kids, they know they're getting filmed when they're 13 years old. Everyone just has come to become comfortable with it and accustomed to it. They'll even look at your ca- at your phone because they know that's, all right, that's the, that's where the camera's at right now. So just been a very but interesting... There, but there also seems to be, and tell me if you agree with this, there seems to be the second type of challenge mm-hmm. these days for for uh, journalists in, in, in kind of that ilk, which is the, the, the fact that there's essential, essentially real-time reporting of the events 100%. on multiple yeah. platforms, mm-hmm. which seems to suffice mm-hmm. for a lot of fans. So by the time the game's over, you've seen the best plays, you've heard the snarkiest, funniest comments, you kind of know the key stats. So why read one of these? And in all due respect to the guys that, who are doing post-game stories, mm-hmm. which is virtually every outlet, I know for the games that I pay attention to, being on Twitter, sometimes Snapchat stories, whatever, I feel like, yeah, I pretty much know what I need to know about that game. Yeah, I mean, that's where I was kind of going originally with the like the the 11 o'clock news and the newspaper right. and stuff. That, that used to be 100% of the population reading those stories. It's still like 50%. Yep. You know, it's still people that don't care enough or just that are going to, until you know, for the rest of their lives, do this intake media the same way. I think that's where you've seen kind of the disruption, especially because... You don't have these media conglomerates being able to do something that 100% of people will consume because everyone's consuming in a different manner. But also, so I, I, I don't know if you saw Steve Kerr, what he'll do now when he announces when Steph Curry was injured, the first game he announced whoever was starting for the Warriors at his pregame media availability. Mm-hmm. Next person went to ask the question. He said, hold up, let everyone tweet that out. And he, really? and he sat there, funny. he started bringing, he brought a slinky to a press conference, he brought something else to a press conference, and he has a thing now where when he breaks news pre-press conference, he then gives it a second because he wants everyone to get their tweets out. Of course, there are people that That's erupt great. about this stuff because no one makes money off that tweet. Well, what would have happened if uh, Twitter didn't exist? People would have turned on the game, and that's when they would have found out who's starting. Yeah. You know, so... It's a complement to everything that's being done. I mean, but in the case of uh, just a quick follow up on that. So, have you seen Sports Center on Snapchat? Yes. What is your honest opinion of that? So, I, I'm going to be 100% honest. Snapchat is the social media that I've now started to use the least. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a change from how it used to be? When Snapchat started, I used it a lot. Instagram story, in my mind, kind of ended my Snapchat career. Mm-hmm. Um, I use inter- as a par- as a creator and participant, or yeah, as a consumer so, so, of others like uh, third party stories. So I use Instagram Story religiously now because to me it's just more professional. It's people more people are following me on Instagram that I don't. To, it's it's more if someone who you're not really that close with follows you on Snapchat, you're kind of like, eh, no, like what? Well, well, yeah. If they follow you on Instagram, it's like, all right, it's a very public facing right. platform. Mm-hmm. Snapchat also. That's actually I'm, a good point. Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of effort. To search on Snapchat, what you're, you know, yeah, no kidding. You have to actually type Even it in. Even with their new UI. Yeah, <clears throat> but I and so I don't consume my news on Snapchat. So, so generally speaking, we'll, we'll talk about sports in a second. But do you like I, uh, Snapchat Discover the, that whole section of so content discovery? I'm kind of am. 
I, I, I don't, I don't know. Ambivalent was that the I was word? thinking. Yeah, it was yeah, so am I going to say? Well, are you? I like, said it, ambiguous. Like if we, if we looked at, if we looked at your app usage history for the last month, are you using it? I'm using it mostly to Snapchat my friends. Okay, it's, but no, I meant, I, I meant specifically discover. Discover, no. Okay. But, but I preface this with a lot of people do. A lot of people tell me they do it. A lot of people tell me that they actually will get like the Daily Mail or the gossip mm-hmm. stuff on there that mm-hmm. they never would have seen. Right. And now they're like, it kind of perks them up. I think that SportsCenter, I've seen what they've, you know, I've, I've watched what they try and do and they kind of got bashed a lot, a little bit just because it was like so cheesy and stuff. And it was, but you know. Well, you're leaving out the key thing. They do not have rights to NFL footage. Yes. Yes. That's yes. because I use yes. it pretty frequently and uh, it's, it's kind of ridiculous on a Monday morning. They literally are, they're using still images yes. to talk about NFL games from the night before. Yes, and I, I think that, but now here's the other thing that you have to look at. We can talk about our good friend Logan Paul and what went on this weekend. Um, there's just, like, I think Snapchat Discover, I think it's more geared toward teens and younger kids. That's what vibe I kind of get from it, that this is what they're going to be on anyway. This is how they get the, their news. Like, they're, they're not even searching Twitter that much. They're not watching. They're cord cutters. They're, this is the way... To show them stuff, this is to break stuff to them, like on that Sports Center app that they might have never seen, and maybe they don't care as much about the. I mean, uh, right? But that there, and to me, lies an interesting marketing challenge. If one of your goals is to attract Gen Z to your sport, so as to drive television viewing, you'd want to lead with your best content mm-hmm. asset, mm-hmm. which is undoubtedly footage. But to me, this is where this stuff gets tricky and kind of complicated from a UI uh, or user experience standpoint. If you go, if you if you start um, looking around the Discover app, you'll find the NFL channel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where they do have footage. Of course. So, but then again, if you're using SportsCenter and that's kind of your go-to just for like overview stuff for sports, but in other words, you can see how these agendas mm-hmm. all get muddied based on desire to kind of own or get those eyeballs on your particular brand. Oh, look at, uh, if you go onto Twitter during an NBA game, Bleacher Report has everything before everyone else because they're getting, they have the same rights as Turner, they have exactly. the NBA rights, yeah. and they've become sort of like, you know, Bleacher Report covers every sport. They definitely cover NBA the So best. they're getting, they're putting on real-time game highlights before NBA.com, typically? I, I that's a good question. That. Okay. I, I would guess that the they get. I'm saying that they'll get things sooner if a, if a game is on. Well, first of all, if a game is on TNT, they get the the content. ESPN doesn't. Right. Um, and so maybe it, it's more of a Turner. Thing. But to, to me, this is a really interesting mm-hmm. challenge for the business. And 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 by the way, there are no easy answers no. here. So I'm not suggesting that this is a simple thing to solve. But one, one of my favorite examples is Premier League on Twitter, where you guys may know the real-time highlights are done by NBC Sports. And, and this, the account is NBC Sports Soccer. For the first however many months that I kind of get into that, I, I had assumed they'd be on Premier League, mm-hmm. which is an account that I had followed. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why wouldn't the Premier League have the real-time Twitter highlights? And then I realized that's the way they did the deal with NBC. But if you look at the reach of NBC Soccer, Sports Soccer, it's a fraction of Premier League. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to influence more fans to drive television ostensibly, you're just ultimately limiting your reach. Mm-hmm. So, so, And again, there yeah. are rights reasons for that that we won't get into, but you can see how there are these tensions 
between marketing obligations, uh, deal obligations, and what I'd call marketing common sense. The, the World Series was very similar. Fox Sports was, you know, every time a home run was hit, right. when I wanted to share it, I had to wait about 90 seconds. And FS1 was the first one to have those clips every time. Mm-hmm. Not MLB. So are you incorporating highlights in the stuff that you guys do? So it, and how do you how do you source them? It depends and the, I mean this is we could this is exactly what you're talking about here is what the heck is right what can't we do can cuz you know Twitter allows you to share someone else's video with their branding at the bottom. So if Twitter allows you to do that you know it's right there in the right. app you click you know, not to like if you this, want to use an NBA highlight video to give this right. away to everyone because people ask all the time. If you're on your mobile app, not in your desktop, you click the little arrow, you can click share as, share video, and you can share directly. If it was during the World Series, I want to share Chase Utley getting hit by the pitch, I share that video and it will come up in with Fox Sports at the bottom. Mm. So it's clear that it, it is there that I, it's not, you're just not making the video your own. You're just essentially embedding that into a tweet. Um, So when we share a video on the post-game account, we will only, if we're sharing someone else's video, we will do that, but we'll never down, we'll never rip the video and post it Mm -hmm. as our own. Mm -hmm. Um, Unless it's for whatever reason, we have permission from whatever. Um, And you know, sometimes we'll, we'll even quote tweet it if it almost feels like too good to just take like that. And again, it's not really taking, it's this gray area of you're sharing someone else's highlight. Um, so I try to do that on my personal too. Um, but I think the real gray area is, can you just film on TV? Can you rip from third party apps? Can you build a GIF? You know, is there a time limit that it's fine to use because you're just sharing with your friends? Can you share a six second clip? Was that is that why Vine worked? You know, like, but the um, leagues are enabling you, certain leagues, on Jif, Jiffy, for example, right? Yeah. Well, But I don't know how close to real time those are. So, and for example, again, another borderline illegal trick, um, NFL, NFL YouTube videos. If you take the YouTube, lip and put, YouTube link and put it into Jiffy, it says you're not allowed to, to make a GIF of this clip. Now, of course, you can just go to KeepVid, rip the video, and upload it, and it's right there. So... You know, sorry, sorry, NFL. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing this down feverishly. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, there are there are so many ways around all this. How do you police it? Two years ago, the NFL shut down. I want to say it was SB Nation, Jeff, and one other account. I can't remember which who were sharing Monday Night Football clips, like right as GIFs right after they were happening, and they sh- Twitter had the NFL had them shut down for like 24 hours, and then they said that's eh, fine. Yeah. But and that was kind of the barometer of okay, this is fine to do these short clips. Um, and worldwide, Wob, Rob Perez, who's become you know this NBA sensation, now has his own show on Cycle with Cassie Hubberth. Um, he just films, he rewinds his TV on on um, uh, League Pass, and he just posts every six second highlight. You can't miss it. He has everything, and it's clear that it's you know it's clear it's not that he didn't rip it. It's clear he's got this on his phone. It's slightly diagonal and right. stuff like that, but it's how he's built a career on this. Mm, wow. um, and the NBA doesn't, I think the NBA enjoys what he's done. It's not, they're not stopping him. Mm-hmm. 
So before we get to our wrap-up questions, I had one other question along along this path, and it goes back to, uh, so this is the Wednesday after New Year's, and you and I had a little bit of a Twitter exchange following something that happened with the implementation of Twitch now and the mm -hmm. G League, mm -hmm. and kind of the creation of, you know, following whoever you want to follow broadcasting a game. Uh, and you can talk a little bit very briefly about oh, the commentator the, options. The commentator options. Um, where do you think, from from your perspective, both as someone growing up as a fan in the business who likes sports, and as a, a professional, do you like those things? Do you think that they're going to catch on? And if they are, you know, where do you think those type of options are going to go? Um, I think again to circle back on our league rights conversation, mm -hmm. I think the leagues will still maintain those rights to stop just anyone and everyone from being able to broadcast high quality. You know, you might have your face taking up the whole screen and you know, people I think end up don't, I, I know it's kind of been predicted that this was gonna be the future, but I think people don't like having two screens and having to deal with someone else who's not 100% synced up. I think it, it doesn't necessarily work, but. He's showing his age. <laughs> I know. Old school. <laughs> I know Adam Silver has said that he loves <coughs> the way that Twitch games are broadcast as a potential future for the NBA. And I'll tell you, the reason that something like this works is millennials don't care as much about the quality of things. I remember I, I got a little mad at a friend in college who was showing me his reel for news and was like, look at my turn here to the camera. And I was like, who gives a crap about that? <laughs> like, as we, it's, a, it's about what you're actually saying and reporting. You're not going to make a career on the turn. And the NBA, people have said it's so formulaic that here's, we're leading in like this. Here's the sideline interview. And Twitch, what it allows you to do, you could have seven people doing a game. You could have people doing, you don't just have to have two people in the booth and one person doing sidelines. Someone can be way up at the top hanging with fans and you can get their perspective. Someone could be in the tunnel, you know, hanging watching the game with, I don't know, the custodian down below and you could do a whole segment on that during the game. You can, you can go back and forth and just bounce around and broadcast from so many different angles with so many different reports that I do think in 10 years from now, you're going to be seeing more of that Twitch style that people don't care if, if the reporter isn't that ready or if the interviewee isn't that crisp. They just, you know, they're, they're watching the game and maybe that just adds a little element to it and it's something different and they move on. Well, I think we're seeing that already, like with Snapchat stories. So if you look at like an NFL report, mm -hmm. an NFL game, because mm -hmm. sometimes I look at the, the Snapchat stories for individual games, mm -hmm. and you're seeing well, yeah. basically just stuff taken in at tailgate parties and, mm -hmm. in, and in the second mezzanine or mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you 100%. It's kind of like the broadcasting equivalent of, of people wearing a tank tops and sweatpants on an airplane. You know, like, yeah, in the old days, that was frowned upon. These days... Everybody's it's okay. Everybody's okay with it, seemingly. Um, just one last one before we ask the final two questions quickly, because we ha we are running out of time. Um, what does 2018 have in store for you guys in terms of any new initiatives? Um, that's a good. Uh, I'm trying to think what I what I can share. Yeah. Um, I think definitely um, you know more video, and I don't mean that in the classic oh pivot to video form as much as. You know, what I always say about people who are so upset about the pivot to video is like when you go home after a hard day at work in whatever job you do, you watch TV or you watch a game. You don't then, you know, 
as some people do, but I would say the majority of the population doesn't then go into a long magazine article or a long newspaper article if they've had, a, you know, people usually choose video in advance, above mm, other things. Good point. So, I, but I think it's trying to, you know, not just throw up cheeky video, but throwing up maybe developing different forms of video that people aren't used to. For example, um, at the Winter Classic, so I'm in the Rangers locker room during practice on December 31st, and I'm thinking, what the hell can I do that other people aren't doing? And I was like, well, I thought that Chance the Rapper skit they did was hilarious on mm-hmm. SNL. So I walked over to Brady Shea, who was the player that they, they satirized. Um, I talked to him about it, asked him three or four questions. He, I, I set him up. I didn't start with that. I asked him about what it was like to play outdoors, questions that I had no intention of ever using. <laughs> right. but, I, but I gave him that first. And then I walked over to four other Rangers, asked them what they thought about it, and I put up a, a 145 clip the morning of the Winter Classic of the Rangers reacting to it. He had been watching it with Kevin Hayes, so I asked. Kevin Hayes was like, you know, his phone was lighting up and stuff like that. And it was what you might traditionally be a video package that would be on the news. Um, but it was, there was no stand-up. It was just a video that was more directly driven to social. Um, I cut it myself. I taped it with a phone. Uh, and it was uh, it was pretty simple. Um, and I think more of those kind of in-between here's one guy answer, answering a question at a press conference, and here's a documentary. Mm-hmm. You know, somewhere in between, we're moving faster. We can get it done, get it up, move on to the next thing. Great. Um, so our last two questions are, how do you stay current with the news? And then you've, you've spoken at some of the classes on campus, especially the high school kids, and give them some tremendous advice um, not that you're that far removed from them, but still, I mean, it's tremendous advice that I think plays out for anybody. So how do you stay current? And what's some of the kind of interesting things that you've gleaned that you pass on to other people who ask you, you know, what should I do? First of all, thank you for those kind words. Uh, second of all, how do I stay current? Um, I am on Twitter nonstop in almost, almost too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried to disconnect as much as I could in a week off, you know, that I had last week. But at the same time, I also think it helps to just tweet what's going on with me and kind of connect with people that way. So I'd say Twitter, I use incessantly. Um, I try to circle back to mainstream media more so than I might be inclined to. And that means going to, not necessarily going to CNN.com like I used to, but going to CNN accounts, seeing what was the news today. Here's, mm-hmm. the, here's a New York Times article, you know, I definitely make the effort to not just read what I want to read. Um, and I think that you kind of have to make that conscious decision like, hey, there's this Russia article being shared that the New York Times broke a million times today. I know I just like sports and pop culture, but maybe I should, you know, mm-hmm. check out what's keeps going you relevant. Here. It keeps you relevant. So I'd say um, definitely there. I, I would say definitely. In terms of keeping current, the uh, best advice, and this is not my advice, but the best advice for that is talk to people. Um, talk to people that you know aren't necessarily just people you're close to. Um, have conversations with people. Maybe you're working with someone on something, but ask them about something else. Just because I find that everyone, even you know, we we I'll share, not share, but we were having some conversations before we started this. Some things stories, especially outside of sports that I haven't been following that now I want to jump into mm-hmm. uh, because you guys mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of advice, the first piece of advice that I give everyone is tweet. And that's, um, you know, we have 
Ben Burton, my uh, intern, is sitting right here, and that's kind of something that I've been telling him um, this fall and now into the winter is whatever business you work in, if you have a social media presence, it's only going to help your value. And that means, you know, jump into what you know best. You don't have to, you don't have to comment on everything. Um, if you know Dell computers the best, just tweet about Dell wow, computers. Wow, an old reference. So, uh, <laughs> someone, someone is going to be interested. If you're a Lycos expert. <laughs> someone, Ask Jeeves. Someone, <laughs> someone is going to be interested in that. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, I always tell people just, just figure out what you're, what you're good at. Start there. Um, and then... You know, you've mentioned it, and you mentioned, I think, uh, also Terry Lyons, uh, Digital Sports Desk, uh, you know, really had, I really appreciate it. He had some kind words for me in a recent write-up that he had that he said, I, I go out and meet people old-fashioned. And, you know, we talk about the value of showing up, and it really, you can't underestimate it. People still care about face-to-face -face impressions, and they want to help people that they've actually met and know. Um, and trust me, I've met so many people who I've gone back and forth with on Twitter and I'm like, hey, great to meet you. And they're kind of like, oh, who, who are you? I'm like, <laughs> we we talk like twice a month. Like I um, prefer to direct message you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's funny. That's like Terry Gross who does um, a great NPR show. Uh, and I can't oh, yeah, 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 right. Um, she, you know, she never sits in the room with the person. It's, it's always, has to, even if it's like in the same room, she never does it face to face because she's always used to doing things over the phone. Oh, interesting. But anyway, sorry. No, no, no. That's, uh... But no, you've also proven that. And, and I've noticed this because you, you've been a frequent attendee to the NYBC sports yes. events the last few years, which I think Joe and I are partial to, partly for this very reason. Mm -hmm. It's an opportunity for people of all ages and all parts of the business to come together and actually shake hands and meet one another and learn some new things. It's and and you uh, you seem like you've uh, been a uh, an active participant in that. My original mentality when I got out of college was just don't say no to anything. And if you're getting even if it seems like a whatever event, maybe you come away meeting someone from mm -hmm. it. And mm -hmm. I know the first NYBC that I went to, Joe, you at, you said you want to come interview Shane Battier. Yep, I was oh, that's like, right. okay. I was like, yes, I do want to come interview Shane Battier. Um, and I've, I've seen him, you know, twice since. And I always say, remember, we sat at the NYBC. He remembers going. He remembers only one person interviewed him. So he knows who I am from that. I made that connection and showing up at things like that. Um, I've just been able to, to meet people, recognize people. Um, you just, people, especially you guys know this, people show up at these events and they're, they're pretty, a lot of times they're shy, they're uptight, they're, they're acting like they don't want to talk to anyone, but they they do want some sort of communication. Mm -hmm. um, so you just kind of start that. And another piece of advice that kind of goes with this that I tell people is sometimes the biggest names aren't the people you want to know. And this happened at Northwestern when like a, like a Mike Wilbon would come and visit and everyone would be, hey, I'm so, you know, here's my elevator pitch in the minute I'm coming up and shaking a hand, in the 30 seconds I'm shaking your hand and taking a picture. He's not taking all that in and going to help everyone here get a job as opposed to when a producer or an editor or someone would come. Mm -hmm. And th those were more of the people who I would gravitate toward just to, to have that connection. They're doing more of the, the grassroots stuff behind the scenes um, that if you're trying to get started, those are the people you should get to know earlier on. Mm -hmm. Outstanding Great. advice, Jeff. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank that you. was terrific. And lastly, how do we find you, Jeff? Where are you on all your various platforms? Um, it is at Jeff Eisenband. On every, I, I made a... a uh, a 
a name change kind of, as in I didn't change my actual name, but I had started as Jeffrey, and Jeff is just easier. Um, all my socials are J-E-F-F-E-I-S-E-N-B-A-N-D. You can follow The Post Game on Twitter, at The Post Game, T-H-E-P-O-S-T-G-A-M-E. Great. Right. Tom? Great, great advice and, and another great dialogue. Yeah, I know, and it's and it's good to talk to someone a little bit younger. Um, Not much younger though, just uh, a little. No, yeah. um, especially someone who's able to make a reference to Dell computers. That was uh, <laughs> that, that caught my. Well, attention. I couldn't tell what computer Maurice had here. I just what are we looking at? He's I just got all the labels covered again. It's Maurice. Some European so, model. What is it? Mm. To me, just, to, me to me, they're Mac or not Mac. So yeah, Exactly. And I feel like also mentioning, Joe, you're wearing a great pink sweater right now. I am. And I by the way, through. and Maurice has on a Northwestern purple shirt today. <laughs> yes, so true. congratulations with the Henzo Gracie logo, logo on it. Nice. So anyway, well, once again, thanks for stopping in at Studio D, which is where we like to call our room since it's got the little D <laughs> on the door now. Uh, this has been the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Joe Favorito, Tom Richardson, another great show. Yeah, thanks, Joe. It was fun. And Jeff, really appreciate you coming along uh, to, to visit with us and, and share the post-game story. It's really good stuff. Yeah, so good, good luck in 2018. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson.